And, uh, and so I just uh, encourage you to make that a priority. Let's fill this place and see what God will do. All right? Good. Good, good, good. Well, today we are concluding our series that is called I Am. And our goal through this and series, has, through been this series to has been to, to help, uh, to help uh, you, whoever you are, whoever you are uh, online or, here in, building, or here in the building, to help you connect with who Jesus, with is, who Jesus is and how Jesus, and how Jesus uh, is the answer, uh, is the answer to questions that, to we, questions as that we as humanity are asking. And if this series has been helpful to you, maybe maybe someone here or someone that's been tuning in online has made a commitment to Jesus through this or taken a step closer to Jesus in this, I encourage you to let us know because we want to help you in your journey, want to help you take those next steps. Yeah. So yeah. So and we welcome your your questions. Maybe there's and some people have fired some questions back about some of the things that I've said over the last few weeks, and that's good. We want to hear your questions. Even your curiosity and even even your. Your, your, uh, skepticism. Your, your skepticism, because because in because, those conversations, in those conversations is where we have an opportunity to explore Jesus, to explore Jesus. and uh, encourage you and, to, uh, to, to be asking those questions. So today, uh, so today, our conclusion is our, uh, conclusion is our seventh message in this series called "I Am." If you're just joining us today for the first time in this series, we've been looking at the Gospel of John. In the Bible, and, in the Bible. Uh, John and uh, brilliantly John put brilliantly together, put together uh, his gospel, uh, with, a his gospel with a clear intention. He wants he you wants to believe, to believe in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ as, the, as the Son that's, of God. That's his goal. That's, that's no, his goal. No he makes no it. no bones about and it. To make and case, to make his case, John pulls out of all the out of all the miracles that Jesus did. John pulls out seven. He curates for us seven miracles that Jesus did and he calls them signs. They're signs pointing to who Jesus is. And he also records Jesus making seven claims. Seven I am statements. He uses Jesus in these statements uses the divine name. God's name, um, which means, um, which means, what's going on here? I got no control. I got no control. <laughs> None of us have control. I don't know why that's happening. I don't know why that's happening. It seems like. It seems like that white thing is, that white thing is plugged into the plugged other into computer, the other computer somehow. The wrong computer. The wrong computer. Is that plugged into my computer? Is that plugged yep. into my computer? Why is this happening? I don't know. That is so weird. That is so weird. <laughs> Try, try the try try the USB on the other USB side, on of, the other side of, the of the 
I don't know. Somehow, okay, Somehow, okay, never mind. We're going to go without, We're gonna go without PowerPoint, today, PowerPoint today, I guess. Um, somehow, the receiver for this is plugged into the other computer, I think, and I don't know how. But. Yeah. Maya, yeah. can you follow Maya, can you follow, follow just me? Hit the, uh, just hit the, uh, hit the space bar, hit the space time bar each next. time I say next. Try that. Next. Try that. Next. <laughs> okay. okay. It's doing the same thing. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No PowerPoint. Okay. Today. No PowerPoint today. It's all right. We're good. Um, um, so Jesus, so uses, Jesus the uses the divine name. I am. God gave Moses God his, gave name, Moses right? his the, name, at the right? Bush, in the, at the burning Moses bush, said, Moses said, who do I tell the Israelites is sending me? And God says, I am who I am. Tell them, I am is sending you. Yahweh. Yahweh. I am. I am. So Jesus, that's God's name. And so Jesus uses this, I am, seven times to make seven statements about his identity. So we've already looked at, I am the true vine. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. And today we're looking at, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Good. So good. The, the, so the the um, um first we're gonna look at the first we're gonna look the at the seventh, the, the seventh sign. Seventh miracle. So, seventh miracle. Turn, so in your Bibles, turn in your Bibles or your Bible John apps to six, John chapter six. Starting in verse sixteen. Starting in verse sixteen. And we'll actually and we'll actually back it up. Back it up. Yeah. yeah. Back it up a little bit. Back it up a little bit. Because um, this follows right on the heels of the um, of Jesus multiplying the bread and fish to feed five thousand, and uh, and so in verse fourteen, uh, after the people saw the sign, there's that word, the sign Jesus performed of the bread and the fish. They began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. Now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were frightened. Wouldn't you be? But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. 
The next day, the crowd that had been staying on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with the disciples, but that he had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats, went into Capernaum, searching for Jesus." So this, this story of Jesus walking on water is told by three of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and John. And we know from the other two gospels' accounts that Jesus' whole reason for coming, uh, uh, for coming to the place where he performed this miracle of the, the bread and the fish, of feeding the 5,000, his whole reason for coming there <clears throat> was, um, was to get away for a retreat. He had just learned that his cousin and uh, fellow prophet and the person that kind of made the way for him, John the Baptist, um, had been brutally killed, decapitated by King Herod Antipas. Jesus wanted to be alone. But um, people, people caught on, you know, went, word got around, Jesus was nearby, and thousands of people rush in. And so Jesus spends some time ministering to them, healing the sick, teaching them about the kingdom, right? And, and so when this is all done, um, we know from, from John here, it says that they want he knows the people want to make him king by force. And he probably also needs to spend some time renewing his spirit. He's, he's, he's got he's to talk to his father about what's happened, right? And so he, he goes up on the mountain to spend some time with the father. And, and he sends the disciples on ahead. They get into the boat and they're crossing the lake and a storm descends on the lake. Um, this is a, a, a common issue on the Sea of Galilee because of the way it's situated in the Jordan, Jordan Rift Valley and the, the mountains, the hills that are around it. It's almost like a wind tunnel and, and sometimes very suddenly a storm can come up on the lake and, uh, and even as lifelong fishermen, they didn't see it coming, right? Um, I've actually been on the Sea of Galilee. I had a picture for you of me there this morning that you won't see. But uh, I've, I've... What? Try again, yeah. Oh, Maya's helping me, that's right. Oh, no, she's not. It doesn't work. No, nah, it doesn't work. Um... Anyways, I, I've been on the Sea of Galilee, and, and I had the amazing opportunity. We, we went out on this boat, and when we got halfway out in the middle of the lake, the, uh, uh, the tour guide, he had told me on the, on the dock, he said, we're going to get out there, we're going to cut the engines, and you're on. No, no warning, right? You're on, you're preaching. And, uh, and so we get out there in the middle of the lake. It was such a, it's one of the most, meaningful moments 
that I, of, of teaching moments in my life that I remember. Standing in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, teaching on Jesus walking across the lake on the water, right? <laughs> was I, I wasn't walking in the water, no. No, I was not. But uh, the clouds started getting really dark, and we were a little concerned that, you know, the same thing was going to happen, you know, where there's a, a big storm. But we just, we just got a bit of a sprinkle, and it moved on. But, but uh, so, so the disciples, these, these lifelong fishermen are out there, right? And, uh, and they're, they're toiling. It, it normally takes about maybe three hours of, of sailing to get across the Sea of Galilee. It's not a, it's not a big sea. It's not a, it's not a big lake. Um, but, uh, but they had been rowing uh, all night almost. One of the Gospels tells us that it was almost dawn when they see Jesus coming to them walking on the water. Now I know for most of us we've heard this preached you know, for all of our lives or, or, or for, for years. But for those who maybe this is a new story or, or uh, you've only heard it a few times and you're just, you're just I mean, if, if we really think about it, it's crazy, isn't it? It's a crazy thing to suggest that somebody walked across the lake on the top of the water. I don't know uh, what it means. Was, was Jesus' body weight changed so that he was light enough to, to literally, you know, walk on top of water? I doubt it because the wind would have blown him away. <laughs> I don't think that works. You know, um, did Jesus somehow change the, the, the nature of the water? Did he change the nature of the laws of gravity? How did he do this? I I don't know. We don't know how he did it. But the scripture says, John says that he did it. Um, It's no wonder that Matthew records that when he got into the boat with them, they worshipped him and said, truly you are the Son of God. Right? Right? Matthew's Gospel is the only one that tells us that Jesus invited Peter to step out of the boat and walk across the water towards him. And, and, and he started out well and then um, got his eyes on the storm instead of on Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Right? Right? Because you and I walk through storms. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we're going to be okay. But it's when we allow the storm to become bigger in our vision than than Jesus, we get in trouble, right? But it's bizarre to think, to even suggest that someone would walk across the lake, on the water. But Jesus was not just someone. 
That's what John is telling us. That's what the rest of the Gospels are claiming. Jesus was not just someone. If Jesus was indeed the creator of the universe in an earth suit, if he really is the one who created the laws of physics and holds the atoms together, as Scripture tells us, then would it, then, then it, would it not be a small thing for him to bend the laws of physics to display his glory? to his disciples, right? Paul writes of this Jesus in Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. That's the Jesus John is talking about. The book of Hebrews says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. Jesus holds it all together. And the fact that this is impossible and even a little bit ridiculous is exactly John's point. That's why it's a miracle. Right? That's why it's a miracle. That's why it's exhibit G along with the other six signs that we've talked about that Jesus is not just a nice guy, not just an important prophet, not just a good teacher, but John says he is nothing other than God in human skin. And either that's true or it isn't. Either Jesus is worthy of our worship or he's not. And that's the scandalous claim that we have, to, we have to deal with in the Scriptures. Jesus claimed to be God. Creator. We've said each week that this series in this series, that there's a basic question that humanity is asking, which these revelations of Jesus that we see in John's Gospel are an answer for us. I believe the question we find here today is, what is truth? What is truth? And in fact, that question is found right in John's Gospel during Jesus' trial before Pontius Pilate. Uh, I'm going to read that in John 18, verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked Him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? 
your own people and chief priests, handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Pilate had worked his way up the ranks of the corrupt Roman political system. And he had told so many lies and twisted so many truths to get there that his life was no longer anchored in objective reality. In fact, in this very scene, he is convinced that Jesus is innocent and yet he condemns him to death for political convenience. The meaning of truth has eroded in Pilate's life and he is unmoored. And this is exactly what is happening in our entire culture right now. The postmodern impulse is to question everything. All authority structures must be distrusted. History must be rewritten to make it palatable. The idea that you can't know anything for certain is normal. You can't declare something is true because you'll offend someone who thinks differently than you. Um, people don't want to be held accountable by any truth standard in our age. It's all part of a cultural movement and agenda of the enemy to dismantle objective truth. We have an entire generation becoming unmoored from truth because of the confusion that is caused by people having an allergy to the truth. Right? Don't want to be accountable to truth. But to a generation that is crying out, what is truth? Jesus' response is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We're going we're gonna to deal with those three things one at a time in the next few minutes. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way. I'm the path. Same word in, in the Greek. I am the way or the path. You see, all, all teachers of the ages have taught about a path to walk. The Buddha taught an eightfold path. Here are the eight things to follow to be a good Buddhist that will lead you to enlightenment, he says. Hinduism teaches Dharma, a path of righteousness that those who follow that teaching uh, need to follow. Taoism is a Chinese 
philosophy that that undergirds most of Chinese uh, culture. And the word Tao that Taoism comes from literally means path. Islam has five pillars, and to be a good Muslim, you have to keep all five of these pillars faithfully. Daily reciting the creed, prayer, fasting, pilgrimage, and almsgiving. Five pillars. And we could go on about Jainism and Sikhism and Judaism. All of these religions have a path that's laid out that they, they say you must follow in order to find salvation or purification in your life. Jesus was talking with his disciples at the Last Supper the night before his crucifixion. They still didn't understand what was about to happen. But Jesus knew this was the last opportunity he would have to teach them before his death. And he was talking in John 14 about how he was going to leave them. But they were not to be afraid because he was going to prepare dwelling places in his father's house for them too. Jesus said in verse 4, you know the path or the way to the place I am going. Thomas, one of the disciples, said to him, Lord, we don't even know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, in all of the religious teachings of the world, the way is a system. Jesus turns all of that on its head and he says systems and teachings will only get you so far and it's not far enough. Jesus says, I am the path. I am the way. The systems all point to a created order in the universe. And Jesus said, I am the creator behind the order. Right? Something greater than religious systems is here. Jesus, the creator, is here. Systems have enslaved people. And Jesus said, I came to set them free. Right? So folks, if you're You're trying to find your way through this crazy, crazy world we live in. Trying to make sense of all that's going on around you. Tell you right now, no system is going to get you through it. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. And he says he is the truth. To be fair to those who have truth allergies, right? Truth is a scary word. It is. Because if it's possible for something to be true, then everything else will be measured by that truth. If it's true that 2 plus 2 equals 4 then every answer to 2 plus 2 that is not 4 is false. Right? Our culture would like us to believe that truth is relative. 
So if I believe one thing to be true, I have to say that someone else's belief is equally valid because it's true for them. Right? That's, that's what our culture tells us. But the confusing thing for all this is that there, there actually is relative truth. Just not all truth is relative. Right? If you and I sat down to a feast of Brussels sprouts and you said, oh, these are delicious, I would say they taste like garbage. Right? It's true for me, but what's, what you're saying is true for you. It's, it's relative, right? It's relative. But if one person was to say that, that Brussels sprouts are plant material that is made from cells and it's green because it contains chlorophyll, and another person says that it's black licorice and it's made in a factory, one person is objectively right and one person is objectively wrong, right? There are things that are relatively true and then there are things that are objectively true. And so the question is whether faith is a matter of preference or a matter of objective truth. Are all paths equally valid or is there one truth that is truer than all other truths? Jesus says here that He is the truth. Not just that He is true or that He knows truth or that He teaches truth, but He is the truth. It's a big difference. This is consistent with John's statement at the beginning of the gospel, of his gospel, that Jesus is the Logos. The Word. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. And the Word was with God and was God. Okay? The Logos. That is a, that is a meaning-packed word that you might not, uh, might not have, you know, have, have known or picked up on before. But, but Logos was a term that had been used by Greek philosophers for about 300 years before John. And by it they meant the divine creative wisdom or truth that emanated from the Creator by which He made the universe. That's what Plato meant when he spoke of the Logos. I'm going to say that again. The Logos is the divine creative wisdom or truth that emanated from the Creator by which He made the universe. So Jesus is not saying He has a better idea than Buddha or, or, or Muhammad. Or that, um, but He's saying that He is reality itself and anything that exists does so because He made it. And I know that's a bold, crazy claim, but Jesus made it, and we're not meant to be able to wiggle around that claim. 
Either it's true, and therefore we ought to bow to him, or it's not true, and he ought to be cast aside as a deceiver and a delusional madman. There's no middle ground on this. Jesus is God, or he's not. Jesus said in in John 8.31, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So folks, if you're, if you're looking to anchor your, some, your life to something and you feel like everything you try to anchor your life to is sand, shifting sand in this world, and the anchor just doesn't hold, I want you to know Jesus is the rock, the true rock that you can anchor to today. He is true. And thirdly, He is the life. This is a big word for John. 36 times in his gospel, he uses this word life. Zoe. It's a big word for John. If Jesus is what he claims, the Son of God and truth itself, and if he's the path to freedom and the path to God, then it stands to reason that his claim to be the only one in whom we can find true life is valid as well. If religion could get us there, if all these systems and these paths could get us there, we would have found our way there by now. We would have never needed a Savior if political ideologies or education were going to get us there, or social evolution or science or any of the other things that people hope in in this world were going to get us there, surely the world would be getting better by now. Right? Should we really still have tyranny and racism and war and violent crime and ecological disasters if we could fix all these things ourselves? John wrote in his most quoted verse in his gospel, and you know this one, for God so loved the world, right? So loved the world, the cosmos, the world that He gave His truly begotten or only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have an eternal kind of life. An eternal kind of zoe. John has been telling us from the start, by the seven signs and the seven I am statements and all the other shockingly brilliant things that John writes in his gospel. He has been telling us this man, Jesus, is no mere man. But he's something, truly something else. He is the Son of God. He is the Creator. He's the one who made the universe. He's the one who still holds it together. He's the one who came seeking humanity. 
He died and rose again so that if we would believe in him and follow him, we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. We would be forgiven and transformed and become something more. Something eternal. Jesus is making something eternal out of you. Yeah. How could we not want that, right? Jesus. We're going we're gonna to worship Jesus 